Midwife Calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we're going through every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. Today we will be talking about Season 2, Episode 0, or the Christmas Special 2012. Whatever we're calling it, it's the very first Christmas special that Call the Midwife ever did, coming immediately on the heels of the first season. And I was like, uh... There's some confusion in my mind, and when I looked it up, like, IMDb doesn't agree with Wikipedia, and the DVDs, it's packaged with Season 2, but Netflix puts it with Season 2, but Wikipedia listed among Season 1, and IMDb listed as part of Season 1, so, like, it's in between the two seasons. All the Christmas specials don't really belong to either season. Yeah. This episode was directed by Philippa Lothorpe and written by Heidi Thomas. Heidi Thomas, of course, created Call the Midwife. Mm -hmm. Uh, Philippa Lothorpe has had a long career as a director. She directed, most recently, a couple of episodes of The Crown. Hmm. She's directed a couple of episodes of Call the Midwife. She directed The Other Boleyn Girl. Okay. Yeah. And then a bunch of other British things. (laughs) (laughs) The show is very British. This show is very British. Do you want to tell us the recap? Absolutely. Let's get into it. So we begin, as usual, with Mature Jenny. Mature Jenny narrates about her first Christmas in Poplar as a group of children run to gather around a TV in a shop window, with Sister Monica Joan joining them. Jenny talks about the nuns praying and meditating in Advent, as Jenny washes a baby Jesus. She gets the call from a neighbor of a woman in labor, and Sister Julianne and Jenny arrive to find her on the toilet. The woman is distressed, but they reassure her and deliver the baby easily, sending away the ambulance that has been called. Later, a girl named Lynette comes to the clinic with her two brothers and reads some pamphlets. Chummy questions her, asking her if she wants to be a nurse. Jenny is stopped by Mrs. Jenkins on the street to ask about the baby, who has just been born. Later, Sister Evangelina remembers the woman, saying she always always asked about the babies being born. So they're like, first, do you know what... uh... This is a leading question because I happen to know that you looked it up. But the TV show, the puppet show that they're watching. It's called Pinky and Perky. It was a puppet show, TV show. Basically, you know, in the early days of TV, they could just have a puppet show and people thought it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it was just, um, if you have heard, it's, it's kind of the precursor to Elvin and the Chipmunks. Okay. Which we are more familiar with here in America and Canada. Uh, it was the playing the record player at high speed in order to get those cutesy pinky gotcha. and perky 
voices. Right. And you see all the kids watching through the shop window. And so, like, it, you, they can't possibly... We don't hear. They can't possibly hear very well. Yeah, I would say it's unlikely that they can even hear it. So it's like, They're it's just, just watching fascinating it. to have a TV. And yeah. this is Sister Monica Joan. Uh has a childlike wonder, especially when it comes to TV. And we'll see that more as we continue with the show. That's going to definitely continue. And that was just what struck me in this very beginning, that it's all the children come running. And there's a few other adults in the background, but really Mm -hmm. what we focus on is all the children and Sister Monica Joan. And that's like a commentary on Sister Monica Joan and her character, but it's also something that we've seen already in the first season and we're going to keep seeing on the show. And we see in this episode that like, Old age and childhood is not unique to this show, mm-hmm. but it's like it's going to be a thing in this episode. Yeah. Uh, connecting old age and childhood. I love the alert system that the kids have set up. So it's like, you know, a few kids like stationed in different places. So one starts like ringing the bell or like twirling a little like noisemaker and then another one does and then they all come running. And so like they were off playing outside. They weren't just waiting at the TV store for the show to come on they're all they they have an elaborate system and i love that idea of like all the neighborhood kids band together and then we have the con we have mature jenny narrating and the contrast between the excitement of the kids running around outside and she puts words to like the contrast of excitement in preparing for christmas and the expectant joyous calm that the nuns have in Nelada's house and we see Sister Julianne like quietly praying before a cross mm-hmm. and there's the show is making this contrast and Jenny is making it like in words mm-hmm. is drawing our attention to it uh, and it's also something that this episode is going to be about like the contrast between like his advent time of Specifically, young Jenny, I mean, mature Jenny says that I was young and faith was still a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the first time that we have seen in the show hints that Jenny is going to develop a faith that she didn't have at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And the nuns are instrumental in that. Yeah. And that's maybe you could say something about the books because... Uh, no, I can't. I don't no? Know. I can't speak Not to that. The books. <laughs> I can't I remember. I just looked up. I was curious about... I haven't read the books like you have, but I was curious because of this episode, and especially because of this, like, I was young and faith was still a mystery to me, is phrased in such a way that, like, for mature Jenny, faith is no longer a mystery. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up, and Jenny Wright, Jenny Lee, did, like, become a devoutly religious mm-hmm. in her older age. Yeah. And we hadn't seen that in the first season yet Mm -hmm. but we're starting to see that now yeah um do you want to speak a little bit to advent and what exactly that means for any of our listeners who don't know that or celebrate that faith yeah advent is one of the two contemplative and penitential seasons of the church year so advent is the time of preparation for christmas the church year starts at the beginning of advent as we prepare for Christmas, and then the other penitential time is Lent. And so it's like 
Lent, and if you're not familiar with Lent, Lent is the period preparing for Easter that is the same thing. Lent is longer than Advent, and Lent is more penitential than Advent. Mm -hmm. But they're both about calm and preparation, not only of the material things, but of the soul for the feast that's coming. And you prepare for the feast with a fast. You prepare for the feast not only with a fast of the body, but of the mind and the soul, and you... Uh, prepare yourself with expectant calm and mm-hmm. with penitence and confession and prayer so that you are spiritually ready for the feast that's coming. Mm-hmm. And Advent also, I mean, relevant to this episode, Advent is a very, I mean, in one sense, all times are, but Advent is a particularly appropriate time for giving to and caring about the poor. Yeah. The birth right at the beginning of this episode is uh, a woman who is suddenly in labor. She's sitting in a toilet, which, uh, and it's, but it's kind of, I feel like it's just showing the standard life of the nuns and midwives and, I like that it's like this slice of life of the East End that they go to deliver the baby and there's like the fellow who's, I'm in line for this bathroom. Like, <laughs> go find another bathroom. <laughs> this lady's having a baby right here, you know? Yeah, like, like, this idea of like, there's communal washrooms in these these uh, tenements that you don't have a your individual bathroom in your house. You have a communal bathroom that you have to go to. And if that's occupied, too bad. <laughs> I like this whole scene... It's like, they're just all crowded around watching her give birth. And Sister Julianne is like, maybe you could go give her some space. And all the other, like the man leaves and mm-hmm. a couple of the women, like they crowd things out a little. Yeah. But not a lot. A nope. lot of them are just like, oh, what's going on here? And yeah. they're like, maybe they're helpful. They're getting her towels and water bottles and stuff. But mm-hmm. they're also just like crowding around and the door's wide open and like privacy nope yeah this exactly. is where you are people are around sister julienne says like not quite but just shy of go away and they just don't yeah exactly <laughs> oh mercy i also think that scene though that birth with hilda like uh is relevant to advent because it's all about preparation mm. it's all about she is unprepared and the reason that she is so i mean she is Anxious because her uh, previous, I mean, it's her previous birth was, uh, we don't know the details. She had to have forceps. We don't know more than that. And it was three three days in labor. Three days in labor and with forceps. Mm-hmm. So she was like painful and yeah. difficult. And that is a kind of preparation that has made her unprepared. Yeah. Like that first birth prepared her for this to be difficult and painful and now it's coming when she's not ready for it and she wasn't ready for it already because her previous birth made her unready Mm -hmm. and it's just all about it's in the context of advent it's all about why expectant calm is a good way to prepare for a thing yeah absolutely absolutely because that's what she's lacking Mm mm-hmm and we go back and forth between scenes here, but immediately after this birth, Jenny and and Sister Julianne come down, and there's this woman, Mrs. Jenkins, who we'll get to know throughout the episode, 
asking about the baby, asking whether the baby was safely delivered. And this is uh, from the books as well. Mrs. Oh, is Jenkins it? is in the in the books. And this is uh, the explanation that we get later for her is also is is an explanation that comes from Jenny herself in the books that like this woman was always around and she always seemed to know when a woman had given birth. And the specific question that she asks, right, is, is she, is she thriving? Mm-hmm. And later in the episode, we'll see that her daughter, uh, cause of death is failure to thrive. Yes. So, and I like the second she was like, is she thriving? I was like, well, that choice of words. Yeah, it's very specific. She has experience with being told a baby failed to thrive. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I just want to. I don't want to dwell on it now because I will come back to it later. But I want to just mention Jenny washing the baby Jesus. Mm, right at the very beginning. At the very beginning. Before, like, I don't really, I want to talk about it later in the context of something else. Mm -hmm. But I want to just have said out loud, Jenny's washing this nativity scene and we see her washing a baby Mm -hmm. and washing Jesus. Yeah. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, Also, in terms of the, like, comedy of this birth scene, the, like, the ambulance that come trucking up the stairs. Yeah. They're like, we're here to help. And Sister Juliet's like, go away. Go and away. They're like, all right then. <laughs> Drop back down. Yeah, this is again like the medicalization of birth that hasn't happened yet in this world. Yeah. Of, of the nun, the midwife is in charge. These ambulance guys are just, you know, random dudes. Like, they're not EMTs. Yeah. They're just there to put her in an ambulance and take her to the hospital. And so they'll listen when Sister Julianne says, no, go away. And she says, who called an ambulance? It wasn't necessary at all. Yeah, she is not impressed with that. Because, like, I mean, so many reasons. Like, it just, it wasn't necessary is a reason of its own. But it's also, like, what you said, the medicalization of birth, right? Mm-hmm. That Sister Julianne here does not want ambulances involved unless they are really necessary. Mm -hmm. And like in uh, 2020, um, I mean, the different countries have different attitudes towards ambulances because they Mm -hmm. cost money or don't, depending on where you live. But there's, uh, or in, in the late 20th century, there's a lot more like, you call an ambulance when you're in labor to take you to the hospital is like what you see in fiction, certainly. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, mature Jenny after this birth is born with Hilda, mature Jenny says something that I think could be the, uh, mission statement for popular opinion. Hmm. Which is that birth was and always will be the most commonplace of miracles. Mm, yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. Our friend, when we were asking for... Uh, when, I, when I was talking to people online about possibly asking for birth stories and whether anyone would be interested in that, our friend Kate said, the mundane is miraculous. Mm-hmm. Or something, words to that effect, which are like basically what Jenny is saying here. Mm-hmm. The other just little thing before we move on from this section is with yeah. Chummy in the hospital. Chummy in the, like, uh... Clinic. Clinic. Um, and all the kids are coming in. 
And Chummy says, if you come in, you'll get a, a jelly baby. Hurry, or all the black ones will be gone. And I just can't let that pass without commenting <laughs> on, like, hurry, or all the black ones will be gone. That's the worst flavor. That's by far the worst flavor. I thought I loved you, Chummy. Like... <laughs> Black jelly beans taste like death and suffering. Um, no wonder she likes them. Okay, so carry on. I'm done. <laughs> Black licorice is gross, don't at me. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of Chummy, Chummy leads a group of cubs, teaching them about the nativity play, including Jack and Dr. Turner's son, Timothy. Lynette chats with Peter as she waits for her brothers. And later, Chummy finds out that the mayor will be attending the play and gets very nervous. Mrs. Jenkins tries to entertain a baby in a pram and is yelled at by the baby's mother, but treated very well by Sister Julianne. Chummy sews costumes for the play, and Lynette finds an abandoned building. Mrs. Jenkins collapses in the street, and Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette chat about Timothy and losing a mother before he's called away to see Mrs. Jenkins at her home. She is living in squalor and untrusting of everyone who tries to come in to give her medical attention. She smacks Jenny when she tries to take her pulse, and Sister Evangelina finally gets her to come around by farting in front of her, which makes her laugh. But as they leave, the two of them hear her do the workhouse howl. Yeah. When... Chummy gets into her little uniform Mm -hmm. to go be with the cubs. Sister Evangelina says, the things you see when you haven't got a gun. And I was like, what on earth is she talking about? What does that mean? It is a saying that I had not heard before. It means Sister Evangelina intends to shoot and kill Chummy. (laughs) Apparently. That's what I felt like when I heard it. It's just like a Britishism that means like... The the things you see when you're yeah. unprepared to see them. Yeah, or at least like me without my camera. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, just, I wasn't from, I'm saying it as if I knew I had to look it up too. Yeah, I was just like, that was just a moment of levity to me of like, <laughs> what are you even saying? <laughs> and then Chummy goes in to lead the scouts and they won't listen and there's jack still protecting chummy yeah i was excited to see him back again i didn't realize that he continued to be on the show so i was happy about that i didn't remember that it's the same but like jack who he she won his trust and he continues to be her protector and friend Mm -hmm. i love it yep and little timothy uh timothy turner timothy turner who, you know, the show is now on its ninth season. He, he looking back on it, I don't want to, like, talk too much about what's going to come, but I don't think it's a surprise that uh, he's a lot younger than he was. <laughs> he's a lot he younger now. than he is now. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet to see him as, like, oh, he used to be so little, because he's grown up a lot since then and yep. continues to be a character on the show. Yep. So... It's neat to be introduced to, to get Dr. Turner's life fleshed out more. This is really, yes. I was actually surprised at how little of Dr. Turner's life we got in the first season, because now we see that he is, 
his wife has passed away. He has this young son who he's caring for. He's doing his best to be there for him, but he is this very busy district doctor. Mm -hmm. And we see the relationship between the two of them. And then uh, the relationship between him and Sister Bernadette when they had this whole conversation about how she had a mother who died when she was young. And I like just this window into... uh, their friendship and talking about getting a new autoclave, which is a thing that sterilizes instruments while she's sterilizing his instruments. And just, we see a bit more of Dr. Turner as a person. Exactly. In the first season, he was often just like, we, we made jokes about it. He'd show up, be unneeded and then go away. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, now not only is he really necessary as a doctor, he's also like has a personality on the show Mm -hmm. way more than he did in the first season. And I love in this scene where he goes to see Mrs. Jenkins, immediately sees that he's not touching her for anything. She screams at him and he doesn't bully her. He doesn't uh, try and grab her. He gets her food. He recognizes yep. that this is what will win her over is his son's supper. And we see this, this is like in Dr. Turner's uh, storyline in so far as it is one. Mm-hmm. It, this is pretty much the end of his story uh, in this episode, uh, mostly. But his relationship with Timothy is one of the sources that like Timothy is not very impressed with his father in this mm-hmm. episode. And there's a couple of like, you know, you're you're late, Timothy says, you're always late. Yeah. And then he takes Timothy's supper from him. And there's like, on one hand, layoff kid. He's a busy community doctor who's doing a lot of good. And we see this like, he's he's uh, this force for good, helping someone who really is in need of help. And he's such a caring doctor. And then we see the very same scene how that's like he's literally snatching the food out of his son's hand to do it Mm -hmm. and this it's such a effective way i think of dramatizing that he's torn between different needs and different loyalties or not loyalties but different ways that he is needed Mm -hmm. and he's not really meeting all of them Mm -hmm. um back to chummy Mm mm-hmm the Chummy is very upset that the mayor is coming to see the Advent pageant. Yes. And specifically in this section, like she's going to continue to be upset all episode, but specifically in this episode, what really, in this section, what really strikes me is the conversation with her and uh, Peter in their bedroom where she says, he says, I just, you forget what you're capable of. Hmm. And she says, I know exactly what I'm capable of. That's the problem. What does that mean? I don't know. She's still, I think he's right and she's wrong Hmm. in that he thinks that she can do it. And she thinks that she can't. And she thinks that it's going to be, she's capable, but it's going to be a lot of work. I mean, what she says is not just that it's going to be a lot of work, but that, like, she doesn't want the mayor looking down on Poplar. Mm, yeah. And she has this, I like that Chummy, for all her, uh, her wedding is, uh, what the, what's the, 
Crimpoline. Crimpoline. If you're going to get me a wedding suit, it's got to be crimpoline and it'll be catered by the church and the catered by the nuns. And she's like a very break. Last season, we saw her break with her like posh, snooty uh, upbringing. Mm -hmm. But here we have like, this is our church and I'm happy with it, but I don't want some someone else coming in and looking down on it and i have the perspective to see that they will look down on yes it. that's true but i feel like peter doesn't quite have that perspective no. peter's a bit like well what's there to look down on mm-hmm. and chummy still has the class perspective to be like i see what there is to look down on mm-hmm. i don't look down on it except maybe she does a little yeah because she recognizes that it's look down onable mm-hmm and then it makes me wonder, like, when she sa- he says, you don't know, where- you forget what you're capable of. She says, I know what I'm capable of. That's the problem. Does that mean, like, I see two possible readings of that line, right? Hmm. It could be either, I know that I'm capable of great things that I'm not going to do. Hmm. If I was in a posh setting. Right. I could do an amazing advent and I'm not going to be able to because I don't have the materials and it's because I know what I'm capable of and yet I'm not going to be able to do it that I'm upset. Hmm. Like, so that's the problem. I know what I'm capable of and this isn't it. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, I guess there's three readings because the second is what you said. I know what I'm capable of. It's hard and I'm going to hold myself to it and it's going to be really hard now. Mm Mm-hmm. But then the other one is, like, disagree. He says, you don't know what you're capable of, by which he means you're capable of great things. And she says, I know what I'm capable of, which could mean you're wrong. I'm not capable of great mm-hmm. things. I know what I'm capable of, and it's not that great. I think you're reading, the first reading you said is 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 what it is. Is she doesn't know how to bring poplar up to the level that she could accomplish in a yeah. rich neighborhood yeah kind of thing i just really like that chummy like chummy is 99 percent happy and poplar in the east end with her police constable husband but like she still remembers how she was raised and mm-hmm. that doesn't just go away yeah exactly you know? exactly i like that and and her like anxiousness and flusteredness does not has not gone away. That's no. just chummy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. Um, do you want to talk about Mrs. Jenkins, or do you want to talk about Lynette? First? I want to talk about Lynette first because she, for the first half of the episode, she's just kind of sprinkled throughout. She's the big sister of these uh, brothers and a little baby that her mom is bringing in to get weighed. We see her look at the pamphlets at the nurse's clinic, and then we see her uh, asked to help out with the with the um, pageant, as well as this just scene sprinkled in where she's looking in windows of buildings. And so, like, you, I mean, because you've watched the episode now and we have, we know it's coming, that she's looking for a place to give birth by herself. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a mystery that builds throughout the episode of what is going on with her. Yeah. Did you in, the, I had no idea the, on the first watch, like why she's looking into buildings. No, no, I didn't either. Uh, when did you know she was pregnant? 
I was suspicious when she was looking at the pamphlets. Yeah, me too. But then, as soon as she felt pain, I think, I don't know if we've recapped that part yet, but later on she'll feel, she like yeah. suddenly makes a grimace and you're like, oh, okay. I'm just wondering how effective you think the chummy being like, oh, do you want to go into nursing? That was like a red herring. How mm-hmm. effective was that red herring? Yeah, it was somewhat <laughs> effective, but there's... I think they built that mystery well and yeah. built that that uh, the two sections of the episode up well. Yeah. I had like her cleaning windows and looking in. I was like, is this a kind of little match girl staring in? But she's staring at empty warehouse. I just had no idea what mm-hmm. she was doing. What she was doing. Yeah. And then it becomes so clear eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mrs. Jenkins. Mrs. Jenkins. We we get these little pieces of her throughout the beginning of the episode, and then finally we go to her house. She's had an attack of angina. And like we said about Dr. Turner, you know, he comes in, he gives the food, he takes care of her, but he also just says, you know, I've prescribed this, I want you to check on her every day, and he's out because he has other things to do. Yep. And so it's now it's up to the nurses to enact his care plan which is not easy. Yeah. And, uh... And when we first... I mean, one of the first things in this section, she, like, does dicky birds to the little babies, mm-hmm. and then Mrs. Jones shoves her very aggressively. Yeah. And uh, breaks the apple juice. Mm-hmm. And then as she wander- walks away, Jenny's like, why doesn't she accept help? And Sister Julianne says she's had help Help used to mean something very Help different used to, to mean her. Something very different. Mm-hmm. I think that's also something through this show, but through this episode of like some kinds of help aren't helpful. Yeah. And so with Mrs. Jenkins, the the key is finding what kind of help is actually helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's not as easy as it as not. I think uh, like an intellectual puzzle, a mystery. Yeah. And we see that in this section with, like, Jenny and Sister Evangelina, because Sister Evan- cause when Jenny tries to give, I mean, Jenny tries to be helpful to Mrs. Jenkins and mm-hmm. her help is rebuffed, right? Yeah. Some kinds of help aren't helpful. And Sister Evangelina seems so very harsh when she's like, you didn't, like, a, you, she didn't trust you. Yeah. You didn't make her trust you. And if your patients don't trust you, you're useless. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I think that's like, Sister Evangelina can be so, this contrast between her being so harsh mm-hmm. and so uh, compassionate. Yeah. I love, this is one of my favorite Sister Evangelina stories, this yeah. little section. And that when she goes in to help, she goes in with Jenny to help Mrs. Jenkins and De- Mrs. Jenkins slaps her and we see Jenny's face being like, ha! See? Ha! <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then she gets past it and she knows how by farting, which is hilarious and bizarre. But also, like, it's a great leveling field. This yep. is what she needs to do. And she's just smart. She just knows how to use like anything yeah. to relate to people 
And that what she says to Jenny is it's about trust, right? And why farting in front of Mrs. Jenkins is disarming is because it brings Sister Evangelina down. Yeah, exactly. Right? So she doesn't seem like an intimidating authority figure anymore because she just farted in front of her twice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, partly it's they share a laugh, but it's also like she recognizes what Jenny doesn't. And Mm -hmm. Dr. Turner didn't either. Like, Dr. Turner gives uh, Mrs. Jenkins food, and that helps, but he still is like, I'm the boss of you attitude, and that helps for a moment, but it doesn't build lasting trust. Mm -hmm. Sister Evangelina, like, punctures her own dignity. Yes, exactly. Which Jenny is really not able to do yet. No. She's not able to put aside that disgust and, and get down on the level. I just love this contrast of Sister Evangelina being, like, very authoritative and Mm -hmm. uh, harsh to Jenny. And then, like, I have to build trust to Mr. Jenkins and I do it by diminishing myself. Yeah. I felt like in this scene with Sister Evangelina saying, like, look at all the work I have to do and I have to do your work, too. Uh, It was relatable to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I've been in this situation a few times before where like you have a new coworker who is muddling through the best they can and when you can do your job well and they are still struggling it's really hard not to be like Sister Evangelina in this moment of like you just need to do it because I can't do your work and my work too. Yeah. It's hard when you're able to do that someone else's <laughs> job better than them. And I have never treated anyone like the way that Sister Evangelina treats people. But for me, watching her do that is kind of cathartic. Of <laughs> like, yeah. uh, yes, I relate to sometimes feeling that way. I really hope that Jenny is taking notes about farting to build trust. Exactly. Like, seriously. Farting is funny, you guys. We, we had a conversation with our kids about it, like, an hour ago. Yeah, farting exactly. Farting is funny, just accept it. Yeah. <laughs> Chummy leads the group of children for the play, with Lynette helping, until Lynette turns away in pain. Later, she lays in bed, telling her mother that she's got her period. She sneaks out, as the nuns sing Compline, delivering her baby by herself in an abandoned building. The next morning, Cynthia finds the baby in a box outside the door. They warm the baby and call the police. Sister Julienne says this is the first abandoned baby they've had in 60 years. The group of nuns, midwives, and Fred name the baby after St. Raymond Anatus. Jenny, Jenny and Sister Evangelina work to clean a filthy Mrs. Jenkins, gently bathing her. Lynette's placenta is found in the abandoned building, but there is a piece missing, meaning that she will soon become ill. Jenny takes Mrs. Jenkins to the the doctor and the dentist, getting her hearing aids. The nuns, while they're singing, they're singing, uh, they're doing Compline, and they're singing a psalm, and it's a different psalm every time. That's how Compline works. Mm Mm-hmm. And this time the psalm they're singing is Psalm 91. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's about uh, God defending. Uh, And it has, 
It starts out, Whoso dwelleth under the defense of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, Thou art my hope and my stronghold. My God in him I will trust. And uh, that sung over Lynette like alone. Mm-hmm. So alone. So alone. Just the idea of like she goes to an abandoned empty building to give birth alone mm-hmm. and then also just ima- imagine giving birth secretly and then going back to sleep in her bed with her mother unaware mm-hmm. yeah it is harrowing in a lot of ways it is like a miracle that she's able to give birth unassisted like this without uh well i mean she doesn't succeed because she doesn't get all the placenta right but it could have been much much worse it could have been so much worse so much and worse the psalm going over it of god's protection mm-hmm. feels like this is what we're seeing this is what the show is showing us uh that lynette's protected mm-hmm and she also, you know, any birth in a Christmas episode, uh, yeah. but especially a young woman giving birth in a Christmas episode is going to be, is going to feel reminiscent of Mary. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, that's any birth in a Christmas episode, but uh, Lynette especially here because she's young and because she's alone although mary wasn't alone but yeah but unmarried in a dirty place and yeah yeah, everything about it is very parallels to mary yeah uh she later on the mom will say like i i can't believe i didn't see it and in this moment i am a little surprised that like she's lying in bed looking so sick and the mom is just like well, you know where the aspirin is and the you-know-whats yeah. for her <laughs> for her time of the month. And, uh, I mean, and that also shows that this is a family that doesn't talk about things. like. Yeah. I like that, that scene. I like the line that they are treading with that scene. Mm-hmm. Because her mother is not uncompassionate. Yeah. Like, I think my time of the month is coming. And, like, no medals for that, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. You know where the aspirins are and the you know what's and good night. And she's like, she's yeah. affectionate and she's compassionate and she doesn't see Lynette's need. Yeah. And I just think they're walking a very uh, careful line between this is, n- this is not a neglectful family. No, it's, this a, is not a, it's a busy su- mom. Yeah. Yeah. This is not an uncaring mom or a neglectful mom or a family that, like, they don't talk, but they also, you could be a lot less talky than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the you-know-whats is a little like, oh, but she still is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You could be less talky. Mm-hmm. I like the line that they're walking. It's yeah. not like she can't talk to her mom about anything ever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because I think, like, it shows... A couple of things, but it shows, like, a uh, young girl who is pregnant and is keeping it a secret and, like, 
what happens later on in the episode one of the things both parents say is like you know she was well brought up or a respectable family mm-hmm. and they really show that yeah that like it is a good family and they're taking care of her and they're doing her their best and they show several points that they you know are trying to love and support and appreciate her mm-hmm. i just kind of like the showing that this isn't that young unwed mothers are not um the result of negligent terrible parents who drive them to desperation yes necessarily mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah I think it's interesting to think about the parallels between Lynette uh, and Mary, the prostitute who we saw give birth in the second episode, who is, they would probably be around the same age. Like I would say Lynette is about 15 or 16. uh, And what happens to each of them is so vastly different Mm -hmm. and it all is to do with the family that they're raised in Mm -hmm. and despite the fact that Lynette causes her parents shame they feel shame of her she will still be supported in a way that Mary never was and never will be well I said like uh Lynette is an allusion to Mary yeah not only this not only uh biblical Mary but also the call the midwife's Mary. Mm-hmm. That's very true. There's also parallels between Mary and Mrs. Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, in multiple places, one of them, just in this section we're talking about now, is the singing over something happening to them. So mm-hmm. you have the scene here where Mary, where Lynette is giving birth and the nuns are singing the psalm over that. And then... We'll get into right away the scene where Mrs. Jenkins is being washed and the nuns are singing over that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lynette, later on in the episode, will wash herself. She is uh, sick and then you see her with a washcloth washing herself because there's no one to care for her because they don't know her need. There's... uh, the parallel between she abandoned her child and Mrs. Jenkins, her children were taken from her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the diametric opposite, mm-hmm. which is a parallel. Yeah, exactly. I find it very surprising that they would say that this is the first case of infant abandonment in 60 years of the Nanata's house being there. Yeah. Really? Because I'll not tell you. Not a single ya. person who's left their baby on a doorstep of a church? I tell you, it's not the last one on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so they must be picking up the pace on those. I mean, I guess there's a baby boom. This yeah. is during the baby boom. Post, yeah. Post-World War II. But... I do find it very surprising that this is the first time they found a baby on their doorstep. Although, we talked about, when we talked about uh, the fourth episode of season one, when Mary comes back and kidnaps a baby, and we said, like, this is a thing that people are afraid of, but is very, was, and continues today to be very rare. Mm. And, like, 
Abandoned babies on doorsteps is something you hear stories about, but it's not a common... You're right. It's a... It's not something that happens often. Mm-hmm. It's dramatic. I... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I... Specifically, like, leaving a baby in a box on a doorstep does not happen very often. And yeah. It happens all the time in stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that moment of Jenny and sister Evangelina stripping and bathing Mrs. Jenkins? Yes. This is so powerful. Sister Bernadette is singing. uh, I mean, it's the nuns, but if you pay attention, you know it's it's Sister Bernadette Bernadette singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. Why is it powerful? I mean, it's... It's a scene that has lots of... Like, the first part of that scene is they're, like, burning her clothes because they're full of, like, fleas and lice. They're, uh... Jenny has to take off her boots that are welded to her skin, which I had to, like... It was awful. That was very disgusting. (laughs) Her feet with the long toenails and everything. But very visceral. Mm Mm-hmm. But, and like, and that's a moment of the two of them being like a little bit rough with her is that yeah, Jenny has to take off these boots and she has to pull them off and it's gross and awful and, and painful. And painful. And Sister Evangelina is burning her clothes. But then this song starts, this O Come O Come Emmanuel, which is an Advent hymn. It's mm-hmm. leading up to to Jesus being born. It's leading up to Christmas. And so it's this solemn advent hymn and they're gently they're taking off her clothes and they're gently bathing her and it just it slows right down to this meditative moment of it's just the three of them and they're treating her with dignity and respect and it's even reverence and reverence to her body part of uh, a Christian tradition is the bathing of feet. That happens actually at Easter, but uh, this idea of bathing someone and washing them clean is a very spiritual moment mm-hmm. that I just, I wept when they did that. That was a beautiful, beautiful scene. And what you say about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, like, is not, like, it's the Advent hymn, like, there yeah. are more, but... Uh... If we're going to draw contrast between Advent and Christmas, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel at this point is very appropriate because it is not a Christmas song. It is mm-hmm. an Advent song. It's a preparation song. And they're preparing uh, Mrs. Jenkins mm-hmm. in the same way. I mean, I said I wanted to come back to Jenny bathing Jesus the or washing the Advent statue of yeah. baby Jesus. But it's like, this is this echo of that yeah that she's washing uh the advent and she's washing a baby is like a thing that jenny has done a lot washing babies and here she's washing a baby statue of jesus and then here later in the episode she's bathing mrs jenkins and it's so it's the same thing mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's caring for her but it's also preparing her for life Mm -hmm. 
for a life that's going to be different from what her life was before. And that's like burning away the clothes and washing off the dirt is both very practical, very immediate, medical, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also like it's a sacrament and they're transforming her. Uh, And this, I think this moment of them like uh, bathing her, you, you said the washing of feet and I thought the exact same thing that like this is the meaning of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. Like this right here. Yeah. Is what that means. Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back at the Nanatus house, Peter is talking to Sister Julienne and he asks why someone would do this. Mm-hmm. And I think you wrote down, what was the quote? Sister Julianne says, I've come to the conclusion there are only ever two reasons for doing anything. One is love, the other is fear. Mm-hmm. I think she's right. I totally agree with her. This is the why. This is both. <laughs> and the, the, when Peter's asking why would someone do something is why would someone give up the baby? Just mm-hmm. to be yes. clear, we're b- talk, back to talking about that. Yes. And that she gives up the baby for love and fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there are only ever two reasons anyone does anything. One is love, the other is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go back for a second, we forgot to talk about the workhouse howl. Yes. Because uh, they hear, uh, Jenny and Sister Evangelina hear it, and then later Jenny asks uh, Sister Monica Joan about it. And both Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina are very familiar with it. And uh, it is also in the book that Jenny Lee wrote that, and we've talked in previous episodes about the workhouses, Mm -hmm. that it's a cry of pain. And for Mrs. Jenkins, it's a cry of abandonment for her children. And grief. And grief, and she's just calling out Rosie's name, and uh, she meant she keeps mentioning Rosie to Jenny, mm-hmm. and keep and she she'll compare Jenny to Rosie, but and but also be like, Rosie is gonna come. I'm saving my food for her. Yeah, you didn't eat your meals on wheels. Oh, it's because I'm you know I'm saving some for Rosie, and it's unbelievably tragic and. And true that it turns out, like, if you read the books, this is a true thing, that the workhouse howl was something. And as Sister Monica Jones says, well, as these people, you know, die, it's, we don't hear it anymore. You know what uh, absolutely inappropriate comparison comes to my mind? What? The Princess Bride <laughs> is the sound of ultimate suffering. My heart made that sound when Reuben slaughtered my father. The man in black makes it now. But it is like... It is, yeah. That is, it's the sound of ultimate suffering. It is. Yeah. It is the sound of suffering that no one... It's it's a P, it's PTSD. It's something yeah. we know now. Yeah. And that nothing has been done to help these people. Yeah. This is a... The history of, of trauma in the world is... Uh, 
in so many things that have happened throughout the world, throughout history, is traumatic things happen to people and they're left to develop mental illness and get worse instead of better. And that's why, like, when I was saying earlier, some kind of help doesn't help, Mm -hmm. is is uh, Mrs. Jenkins has been given basically no help. Mm-hmm. We see she has been, she like, they gave her a sewing machine so she could make a living. So yeah. they gave her some help that wasn't helpful. Uh, and it's the other thing about this uh, bathing moment is because literally in, like, if Mrs. Jenkins is a real person, getting a bath is not, is a short-term fix. Yes, it is. But in the symbolism of the episode... It's a transformation moment mm-hmm. where giving her antibiotics and food helps immediately. Burning her flea-ridden clothes and washing her clean. Uh, and then immediately, and then like getting her hearing aids and mm-hmm. food and shoes that fit and yeah. are comfortable. And like, and what we're going to see in the end of the episode too is Jenny is like, I need to give her help that helps. Mm-hmm. And the linchpin of the symbolism of the episode is that bathing scene, but the help isn't the bath. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sense in the treatment of Mrs. Jenkins, there's a sense of like, we need to, Jenny wants to, and the episode wants to, like, not just help her infection, but help the workplace, how the workhouse howl. Mm-hmm. And Jenny believes that it's possible. And I think the show believes that it's possible. Yeah. The nurses take care of baby Raymond, getting donations from mothers in the neighborhood. Lynette finds the newspaper story about the abandoned baby, and her father is harsh about it. Jenny finds out from Mrs. Jenkins about her children, especially Rosie. Chummy and the other nurses sew costumes and discuss the workhouse and the abandoned baby, seeing the parallels between them. Lynette is ill, and Jenny searches the public records for news of Mrs. Jenkins' children, finding that all five have died. The nuns think that the past should be left in the past, but Jenny doesn't agree. Meanwhile, Chummy practices with the children. Lynette collapses, and her condition is discovered. She goes into hospital. Chummy talks to her mom in the hallway, encouraging them to meet baby Raymond. Jenny brings Mrs. Jenkins to the churchyard where her children are buried, and she weeps over the place where Rosie is. Lynette comes to see her baby and holds him, weeping and apologizing. Chummy discovers there's a leak in her old room and all the costumes are destroyed. (laughs) Everyone bands together to help her remake them, including Mrs. Jenkins. Lynette is seen pushing a baby carriage and Chummy puts on an excellent play, Dr. Turner arriving just in time to see Timothy play violin. Mature Jenny narrates that later she found the faith of the sisters. So let's start with the pageant let's start with uh yes the pageant and the stuff all being destroyed by a flood like and uh chummy's story Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're 
when you watch the episode, uh, it's Chummy by herself. She's always sewing in the background. She's making these costumes. Uh, Trixie and Cynthia are helping her out in like being models. Like we see Cynthia wearing this box. <laughs> To be Myrrh and uh, Trixie in Angel Wings. But she's essentially been doing all this work on her own. And so then when the leak happens and the pipe bursts over all her costumes, then they band together and -hmm. they get things done. And it's not as beautiful as she spent all this time on, but it's there. I think the costumes they make are more with like the original costumes were going to be with kids in like their dressing gowns and things like that. But they still, it's a really beautiful moment of them all banding together. Yeah. And we don't see, or I certainly didn't see like anything made of the mayor being there. Hey, he's there. You see, uh, yeah. When they process up the aisle, you see someone with like the, that necklace that mayors wear, you know, it's like a special, he's not the mayor like of London. He's the mayor of Poplar, which I don't really, I didn't look anything up about that, but like, I guess there were mayors for different areas of London. Okay. That seems odd to me, but I guess that's a thing. Okay. Uh, But yeah, he's, he's there and seems happy and impressed. And I think like basically Chummy doesn't care anymore. Yes. She's, happy with what happens she pulled it off anyway there's a i'm like being extra sermony this uh episode (laughs) of call the midwife but there's a theological reading to that too that it is when chummy is brought to understanding that she can't achieve things on her own strength Mm -hmm. that she accepts the grace uh that brings her to both humility and happiness yeah (laughs) so do you want to talk about lynette next or mrs jenkins next i think we should uh do mrs jenkins next yeah okay and she's been the center of the episode Mm -hmm. but lynette gets the ending of it yeah so mrs jenkins jenny digs into her past she goes to the records office and finds the records and discovers that these five children died um i was surprised to find that rosie was the oldest hmm. that there's she names all the children i can't remember the names but rosie is the oldest of the five children because i expected the way that she was so uh that she would be the youngest that she would be the baby that she's thinking of the most she's was she? Yeah. I must admit, I thought she was, uh, was the baby. No. Age eight, age five, age three, age seven months. And Rose was the eight-year-old. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it would be she's seen her, she's seen the most of her life and she's seen That's her. That's true. When she sees Jenny as Rosie, it's because she has seen Rosie be, uh, acting in the world the most you know Mm. yes yeah you're right you're right it though this like list of all her children Mm -hmm. brings to mind one of my favorite and also uh most heartbreaking poems 
which is a poem by Ben Johnson on the death of his first son. Mm. Uh, He says, Farewell, thou child of my right hand and joy. My sin was too much hope of thee, loved boy. Hmm. And they're like, I don't, the, I mean, it's, I don't know what more to say about that. I, it is very understandable why she is now very old and that grief has not been, has not faded. No, definitely not. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, and just especially because she's had no closure and she's had mm-hmm. no, no, like that, I could believe that that grief would uh, continue into very old age, no matter what kind of closure, but the the immediacy of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when she's had no answers and no closure. And that's what specifically Jenny wants to try to heal. Yeah. So the nuns and Jenny have this whole conversation over over the lunch table about, you know, you dug into the past and all the nuns are united in thinking that she's done something wrong. Yeah. Sister Monica Joan quotes Ecclesiasticus, mm-hmm. uh, also known as Sirach. Those are the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you've ever heard either of those, she says, you have been curious in unnecessary matters. And that's uh, Ecclesiasticus 3, uh, in a section all about humility. Mm-hmm. It says, be not curious in unnecessary matters, for more things are showed unto thee than men understand. Mm-hmm. And they're like, sense from all the nuns and from Sister Monica Joan most clearly is like, why this is wrong is it's, a lack of humility. Mm-hmm. The past is gone and it's unfixable. Yeah. And deal with what's here and now. Mm-hmm. And what help is it to know what happened to her children? No help. Yeah. Say the nuns. Say the nuns. And I think that's an insight into... Well, first of all, it's good that like, they're wrong sometimes. Despite being having all these more years experience than Jenny, they're plain wrong in this situation. And an insight into like what what kind of attitudes were prevalent in that time and previous to that time of the past is the past, let the past be buried. Mm-hmm. But as we see this, her being able to weep over her child's grave is significant and doesn't make the pain go away, but it does bring about some closure to know that they're not coming. And she specifically, like, she kneels on the ground and prays for her daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like, I don't think the nuns are entirely wrong. Because what, specifically what Sister Evangelina says is like, what good is it to do all this? Well, she needs some kind of closure. And Sister Evangelina says, okay, do that. Mm-hmm. Like, once they see... I think I wonder whether without their influence, Jenny had like learning this is the point. Yeah. And they say, okay, but what are you going to do with that knowledge? Yes, that's a good point. That is what they're saying. But you're right, though. I mean, they both the nuns and Jenny need each other to mm-hmm. come to this conclusion. Yeah. 
It's a good point. Uh, on a total side note about, I was li- listening to, or uh, watching an interview with some of the people from the show talking about uh, these eating scenes, these scenes that they have around the right. table all the time. And something I hadn't noticed, but is so true, is if you watch Sister Monica Joan, she eats very little, pushes the food on her plate. In this scene, she's like playing with a leaf, whereas everyone else is eating a hearty meal because they are busy and need like lots of food in the middle of the day to keep up their energy and keep up their huh. work. But Sister Monica Joan is always sitting there at the head of the table, just kind of picking away at her food. And She's it's a very clever. She's always snacking and has no... Yeah. yeah. Doesn't <laughs> have the appetite that the rest of them have. It's just like a very clever way of, of doing it. Interesting. Yeah. Just as a little side note there. This closure for, like this... Yeah. This ending scene for Mrs. Jenkins is heartbreaking. Uh, completely heartbreaking. Yeah. And beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I'm sorry, you, you, we ended that and I brought it back. Maybe no, it's okay. Out. Yeah, we should, we should bring it back to that. Uh, there's more from her in that she's brought in to help with the sewing. I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, me neither. Like they had, there's a whole scene where like she was, or they, Jenny says, you know, she had to sew for uh, the workhouse. The workhouse closed, and they gave her the sewing machine so she could make a living. And like as if she wanted to sew anymore, but then they need help sewing, and so bring in Mrs. Jenkins to help sew. I'm like of I'm two of, minds. Yes, right? I was about to say the same thing. Give her something helpful to do where she. Uh, can be the one who helps instead of the one who has helped. Like, that's giving her dignity, and that, I think, is... Mm-hmm. I, I, and not just even make work. Like, they actually do need the help. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but on the other hand, sewing... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although we see that in the last Workhouse episode with Peggy, that, like, I never wanted to clean again, but it gets in your bones. yeah. And that's, like, she's traumatized by cleaning and yet uh, keeps cleaning because it's what she now... She knows how to do. ...knows how to do. And there's something of that, too. That, like, her relationship, that Ms. Jenkins' relationship with the sewing has got to be fraught. But it's also, like, she is good at it. And it is something she can do. Mm -hmm. And it is something that will feel... She'll feel competent and capable. Yeah. And it gets in your bones, mm. is what Peggy said. Yeah. We also hear, uh, we said we would keep track of it in this podcast. And here's another example of Jenny caring for someone who is old. Yeah. That uh, Jenny Lee will eventually leave midwifery for end-of-life care. And this is, once again, she's caring for someone near the end of their life. Uh she definitely f- has a connection with that. Yeah. Even from the moments when she's still acting as a midwife. So finally, Lynette. Finally, Lynette. Lynette is so... Like, we didn't... She is so full of responsibility mm-hmm. and regret. Mm-hmm. Like, even before the baby's born. Oh, Yeah. Like, even from her first scene, we can read back and see 
And then, like, I think of the moment when her father gives her the half crown that's more than her allowance is supposed to be because what you do, we see what you do. And it's this ironic moment because Mm -hmm. they don't see what she does. Yeah. And she's, like, that's, like, both parts of her responsibility and regret. He sees that she's responsible and wants to reward her for it. But that responsibility is, like, weighing on her Mm -hmm. because she's responsible for more than he is aware. Yeah. And when they go, what do you think of that last scene? I mean... Can talk about other parts, but yeah, let's no, let's talk about that scene. What do you think about that last scene when there's the baby and there's this triangle? Like the shot is the baby in the foreground, Lynette, and then the two parents flanking her. Mm-hmm. I found it very interesting how uh, the two parents' reactions and the father gets it. Yeah, yeah. The father really is like, no, go and hold it. No go like she's not apologizing to us she's apologizing to him yeah like her father her father understands it the whole situation way more than her mother does her mother is just uh mad and she's too young to be a mother she's like this is not but the father you know and earlier the father says you know she's not signing anything without us yeah like don't let her just give this baby away yeah, it's kind of that, was interesting. She's not signing anything without us. Is like, I would expect the the stereotype. Mm-hmm. I would expect in this situation would be like, just sign a thing and get rid of that. And the father's she's not signing anything without us is like not mm-hmm. take the easiest solution that is obvious. Yeah, it's like we're gonna be there to help her. Mm-hmm. And that's. It's heartening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the way um, that he sees that when the baby is there and, and Lynette wants to pick it up and the mother is like, mm, and the father says, you're a mother too. Yeah. And that's what like softens the mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it is in a number of ways made so interesting by it not being the there are a number of choices here that they could have made this easier lazier choice mm-hmm. absolutely it's always better and more interesting when they don't mm-hmm. i really like this ending mm-hmm. I and think the, so too. what mature jenny says uh baby raymond was not lost nor was his mother. Mm-hmm. That way of phrasing it. Yeah. Again, I think, is a allusion to Mary mm-hmm. and Kathleen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mary. Oh, sorry. Mary yeah, and Mary Kathleen. and her daughter Kathleen. Yes, gotcha. Yeah. That Kathleen is lost to Mary and, and is o- cared for and okay, but is lost. Mm-hmm. And Mary is lost. Yeah. But baby Raymond isn't lost, nor is his mother. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have an easy life ahead of her. No. As like a 15 or 16 year old mother in the 50s. And she, we see her already but... like uh, kind of run off her feet taking care of her brothers. Mm-hmm. And sis- sister? I don't know. Her younger siblings. Yeah. Uh, so this is not going to make things practically 
or socially easier for her. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't lost. But she wasn't lost. I like that way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And... I agree. I agree. Well, anything else to say about this episode? I think it was a beautiful episode. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part? <sighs> or any favorite moments, rather. Yeah, I know. We say, what is your favorite part? And then it's like, I like to... Lo- I mean, my favorite part. How can I say anything else? You ask me, I'm going to take it. My favorite part is uh, Jenny and Sister Evangelina bathing Mrs. Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah, that's mine too. I... It was beautifully conceived and mm-hmm. directed. It was visually so compelling. Mm-hmm. It was like the center of what this episode is about and kind of what the show is about and kind of what uh, I think Christianity is about. Yeah. It was, uh, this episode was beautifully directed in the lacing together of music and, mm-hmm. and visuals that at least three or three different times they laced the music and visuals together really beautifully. And I think that is, uh, that is what makes this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, that was the Christmas special. We will move on Merry to... Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I don't know when this is going to air, but it's nowhere near Christmas right now. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to uh, the beginning of season two, starting next week. It's with uh, season two, episode one. Um, if you have... Uh, by now, you will have heard some of our birth stories being read. Uh, if you have one that you'd like to send to us, it's not too late. Please do... Uh, that information will be in our show notes and on our uh, webpage, which is clockworksacademy slash dot com slash poplar, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can email us poplar at clockworksacademy.com. And we are very active on Twitter at poplar opinion. Thank you so very much for joining us. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion.